Welcome to Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast, bringing together thought leaders in the technology, media, and telecommunications industries to discuss legal issues that are expected to impact today's organizations and tomorrow's marketplace. Show notes and additional episodes are available at kellydryfullspectrum.com. For more in-depth commentary, head to our blog at comlawmonitor.com. This podcast is produced by the Kelly Dry Communications Practice Group. Hello, and welcome to Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast. I'm John Heitman, Chair of Kelly Dry's Communications Practice Group, and joining me today is Denise Smith, Special Counsel in our group. Today, we'll be discussing the Federal Communications Commission's COVID-19 telehealth program. This discussion follows our April 28th webinar, a recording for which is available on our website. We'll begin with an overview of the policy and parameters of the program, followed by a more detailed look at the application criteria and process. Now, on March 27, 2020, President Trump signed the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act into law. It's also known as the CARES Act. The CARES Act appropriated 20, excuse me, $200 million to the Federal Communications Commission for the purpose of providing eligible healthcare providers with reimbursement for purchasing telehealth devices and services to prevent, prepare for, and respond to the COVID-19 pandemic. On April 2nd, 2020, a little less than a week after, the FCC established the COVID-19 telehealth program as a vehicle through which it would allocate the CARES Act money. The application portal opened shortly thereafter on April 13th. Now, to date, the FCC has awarded a total of $105 million over nine funding rounds with 305 healthcare providers operating in 42 states plus the District of Columbia having received awards. Healthcare providers in New York have received the most money so far, reflecting New York City's undisputed status as the hardest hit city in America. Awards range from $5,000 to $1 million, and the average award at this point is just shy of $350,000. Now, I think this reflects the FCC's expectation that it will not award any single applicant more than $1 million. So, John, it's clear that the FCC is committed to getting the COVID-19 telehealth funding out to healthcare providers. Can you talk about how the providers can use the funding? Is this sort of unfettered support that healthcare providers can spend on any type of patient care? Or has the FCC put constraints on how the funding can be used? Thanks for that, Denise. Yes, there are some parameters. There's a lot of flexibility, but there are some parameters. Let's, so let's start with this. The funding can be used for three categories of eligible purchases. It can cover purchases as far back as March 13, 2020. The three categories are telecommunications and broadband services. Now, this is the voice service that uh, you use, right, to talk to your doctor. It's uh, still the killer app. Uh, it's also internet connectivity services for those video visits that people have been having. And uh, so healthcare providers can uh, see their patients and maybe take a look at a wound or take a look at a symptom remotely. Uh, It also applies to second category is information services, remote patient monitoring platforms and services, patient reported outcome platforms, store and forward software services, uh, transmission of patient images, uh, platforms and software that make that happen, onboarding software, patient Uh, management systems, all of that is uh, under the category I would call information services, and it rides on top of your internet connectivity, and uh, so that's a separate bucket, information services. 
Now, um, the final category is internet-connected devices and equipment. Now, this is a unique category for an FCC program to support. Uh, they often don't support equipment. In this program, they do. So they make clear that they will support tablets and smartphones or connected devices to receive connected care services at home. Uh, and so these might include broadband-enabled blood pressure monitors, pulse ox, pulse ox monitors, and the like. And uh, they could be for patient or provider use. Uh, and uh, they also include telemedicine kiosk and carts uh, that we've seen quite a bit of funding for the carts in particular uh, for use at the healthcare provider sites. Now, the devices, um, the catch is all devices have to be connected. They're not interested in funding devices that you get a reading and then you have to go to another device to uh, punch in the information. Uh, they want to fund only devices that are connected or so-called smart devices. Now, funding will not cover, I mentioned the three categories they will cover, telecommunications and broadband service information service, and internet-connected devices and equipment. The categories that won't cover are marketing costs, personnel costs, administrative expenses, and training costs. So aside from that, um, a lot of flexibility in how uh, the healthcare providers get to use the money. Okay. So the FCC allows the funding to be used for, it sounds like a broad array of equipment and connectivity, but the funding is, is clearly is intended to aid in the fight against COVID-19. Has the FCC limited the use of funding to COVID-19 patients? No, Denise, they haven't. Uh, they've actually given healthcare providers uh, quite a bit of flexibility in identifying their priorities and funding needs. And so the funding need not be used specifically for COVID-19 patients. For example, utilizing telehealth services for non-COVID patients could free up hospital resources for COVID-19 patients and reduce the exposure uh, risk associated with in-person visits to you know, the doctor's office, the uh, clinic, or even the hospital. So uh, the FCC is recognizing that um, uh, healthcare providers should have the flexibility to manage their patient load and that telehealth can help get healthy patients out of the hospital or a non-COVID-19 patients out of the hospital or out of the um, doctor's office, uh, that's a perfectly legitimate use for this funding. Uh, it's also notable that the FCC explicitly declined to target specific patient populations or geographic regions, other than saying it was gonna focus on the hardest hit areas uh, by the pandemic, including those that may have had pre-existing strains on their resources. Uh, so you think about um, perhaps some rural healthcare clinics that have uh, uh, been in the news over the past several years of being extremely strained High-risk populations, right, those with pre-existing conditions, vulnerable pa patient populations, uh, such as low-income Americans. Those are all, I think, uh, priorities for the FCC to connect this funding uh, to, so in order to help relieve um, those particularly acute situations. As we turn to the, uh, discuss the finer details of the program and application process, it's important to note that awards are issued on a rolling basis and as the FCC has just passed the halfway mark in spending the $200 million, eligible healthcare providers are encouraged to expeditiously submit their applications. There's nearly $100 million left and so there are there is plenty of money to get, uh, but um, they are now nine rounds in and over $100 million dispersed. And so if uh, this is a program that could speak to your needs and help um, uh, you meet the demands that you're facing in the pandemic, uh, it is time to um, uh, get your application in. And Denise is going to spend a couple minutes on some of the details there. And the program by design is focused on near, near term uh, in hopes that uh, it will have an immediate impact. And that's why you're seeing the speed with which the awards are granted. They also expect speed with which the money is uh, spent. 
Uh, so they're looking at roughly a six-month spending window, uh, and it's reflected in the rules. Um, a couple of things that um, the agency has done to um, allow the companies to uh, move quickly. Uh, they've suspended the competitive bidding process that typically would uh, attach to federal money. Uh, now they are also are cautioning people that they should be cost as effective as possible, right? Don't throw caution to the wind and note that any award-winning uh, healthcare provider would have to comply with documentation requirements in order to get reimbursed and also uh, maybe subject to SEC compliance audits. Now I wouldn't expect every um, provider to be subject to an audit, but there will be some for sure. Uh, just so the government can understand that the money has been well spent and not been wasted. Now, Denise, we've explained about the available funding and acceptable uses of the funding. Can you please spend a couple minutes telling us about the kind of entities who qualify to receive the COVID-19 telehealth funding? Sure. The FCC has chosen to limit COVID-19 telehealth support to rural and non-rural not-for-profit organizations that fall into one of eight categories. And these categories are consistent with the statutory healthcare provider categories that the FCC has used for other universal service support programs. So if someone has participated in one of these other programs, these categories may sound familiar. Um, I'm not going to cover all of them, but I'll touch on just a few. So, for example, eligible health care providers are, you know, community health centers or health centers that are providing health care to migrants. They include local health departments or agencies, not-for-profit hospitals, skilled nursing facilities. Um, I'll also note that um, consortia of these types of health care providers um, are eligible to uh, receive support from the COVID-19 telehealth program. So it's not just the individual um, health care providers, but they can be part of a consortium um, that uh, provide services. Um, I'll note that although many types of healthcare providers are eligible to apply for the COVID-19 telehealth program funding, not everyone agrees with the commission's sort of limits on who can receive that funding. Um, Not-for-profit providers, healthcare providers, are not eligible to receive funding. And not surprisingly, they are pushing to have eligibility expanded For example, the American Hospital Association filed a petition for reconsideration asking the FCC to broaden the eligibility to include for-profit hospitals. They've argued that the CARES Act, which provided the funding for the COVID-19 telehealth program, that the CARES Act does not limit support to nonprofit healthcare providers. The petition has garnered support from organizations such as the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and other for-profit medical providers, but the FCC has not yet ruled on the petition. Okay, Denise. So once a healthcare provider determines that they are eligible to receive funding, how do they go about applying for support? We know the FCC is moving quickly and has distributed over $100 million to more than 300 applicants in less than three months. That timing suggests that the FCC uses a fairly streamlined application process, no? Yeah, no, you're right, John. The process is fairly streamlined. After the healthcare provider determines that it comes within one of the eight categories that I mentioned, the healthcare provider essentially must check off three steps and submit an application. So the first three checklist items that they have to complete, these can all be completed online. 
first, the healthcare provider has to obtain a federal registration number. This is an FCC-issued number that's used to identify an entity for purposes of transactions and filings with the FCC. And I'll emphasize that healthcare providers, they have to obtain the FRN, the federal registration number, prior to submitting their application for the COVID uh, telehealth program. However, fortunately, the FRN is completed. Uh, it is granted immediately after completing a short online process. So that should not be a deterrent to entities, healthcare providers applying for the COVID funding. Second checklist item is that the healthcare provider has to obtain an eligibility determination from the Universal Service Administrative Company, we refer to it as JUSAC, that that's the company that the FCC uses to administer the FCC's Universal Service Fund programs. Fortunately, healthcare providers do not have to have the USAC eligibility determination before they apply for the COVID-19 telehealth support, but they will need the determination before they will receive funding. So really, healthcare providers should start that, that process right away. Healthcare providers obtain the USAC eligibility determination by submitting a form to USAC. The form collects basic information, including contact information, the healthcare provider's category of eligibility, and some other supporting documentation. One good thing is that healthcare providers that already have a USAC eligibility determination, such as if the provider has participated in, an, in another FCC program, they can rely on that determination for purposes of the COVID-19 telehealth program. And I'll note that consortiums can apply for, uh, for the USAC eligibility determination on behalf of their healthcare provider members as long as they have authorization from the members. So the members don't have to do it by themselves if they're part of a consortia. And the third checklist item is that healthcare providers must register with the federal government's system for award management, referred to as SAM. SAM is a web-based government-wide system and it is the only means for receiving funding. Healthcare providers that do not already have a SAM account should start this process immediately as it can take up to 10 business days for their registration to become active. However, again, healthcare providers can still apply to the COVID-19 telehealth program prior to registering for or receiving confirmation of their registration from SAM, but they just have to be aware that they won't be able to receive funding until they have that SAM account. And I'll note that the FCC really is trying to get the COVID-19 telehealth funding to eligible entities um, as soon as they can. And they have waived the red light rule, which is an FCC rule that normally would prohibit the processing of an application from an eligible healthcare provider if they had outstanding FCC payments or debt. So the FCC is really trying to make the process move quickly. And the next step, once a healthcare provider checks off those three items, is to apply for the uh, application, is to submit an application. Healthcare providers will provide information covering several categories that include, for example, the medical services to be provided, for example, 
Are they providing voice or video consults, diagnostics, or monitoring? They will identify the conditions to be treated with the funding. For example, are they serving COVID patients or non-COVID patients? They will provide the requested funding amount and whether the funding is for patient devices. And applicants also have to provide documentation supporting these services and device costs identified in the application. Denise, what do we know about how the FCC evaluates applications? Is there anything in particular that applicants should be thinking about when crafting their applications? Yes, we do have information. The FCC has put forth the criteria that it will use to evaluate the applications and make the funding decisions. And these criteria include the conditions that the funding will be used to treat. For example, I mentioned whether COVID-19 or not the goals and objects for the use of the funding, the healthcare provider's timeline for deploying the funds. Is this something the healthcare provider will be able to use within you know, two weeks or are we talking you know, a month or two, they have to order equipment, you know, something like that. The FCC also looks at the factors and metrics that will be used to measure success and impact. They look at the geographic area and population the applicant will serve. So, for example, they may look at broadband availability and access in the area, whether there is a large underserved or low-income community, the number of hospitals in the area. They will also be looking at the whether or not the healthcare provider applicant is going to be targeting funding to high-risk or vulnerable patient populations. Denise, based on what we know about the application and evaluation processes, what tips would you provide to applicants? The best tip is for healthcare providers to take time to develop thoughtful responses to the questions in the application. The healthcare providers will want to craft strong applications that demonstrate how their funding request will achieve benefits in line with the COVID-19 telehealth program goals of slowing and mitigating the effects of the COVID-19 virus. As a result, the healthcare provider will potentially increase their chances of their application being selected and the healthcare provider being awarded the funding levels that the healthcare provider requests. While the application identifies some questions as optional, healthcare providers really should pay close attention to these questions as well because they provide the healthcare provider with additional opportunities to illustrate the benefits of the healthcare provider's intended use of any fund awards. For example, the application asks about the geographic area and population the healthcare provider serves and whether there are pre-existing challenges such as large low-income populations. A healthcare provider will want to take some time and make sure it, it crafts a good response to that because these are the populations that the COVID-19 telehealth funding program is, is designed to help. Other questions ask whether the healthcare provider will target low income or high risk or vulnerable patients and whether and how COVID-19 has affected other healthcare providers in the applicant's area. Again, if other healthcare providers are overwhelmed, an applicant that's coming in and says, if I receive this funding, I can assist with the overload that some of these other hospitals are receiving, that type of application also may receive you know, the funding they request. 
So this is a case where it would be useful for the healthcare provider to take time to carefully review the questions and develop strong responses. One benefit of the online program is that the healthcare provider can craft the longer substantive responses offline and upload them into the program. So really the biggest tip is just for the healthcare providers to take the time to develop strong applications. Okay, Denise, thanks for that. Actually, we should note that we have uh, seen, uh, we, we do not see all the applications online. Uh, they eventually will become public, but we've seen a variety where it looks like very um, streamlined applications have been approved, but we've also seen evidence that those uh, applications that take advantage of those drop-down windows to explain further um, targeted populations or um, uh, the impact of the area of COVID-19 in the area, those seem to be getting awarded. Um, and so we do recommend that you spend some time on the drop downs, the optional fields. Well, that will do it for this uh, episode of Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum. Thank you so much for joining us. If you have any questions, please reach out to Denise, me, or any member of our Kelly Dry Communications Practice Group. Um, also, please look out for future Full Spectrum podcast episodes and subscribe to our blog, Comlaw Monitor, for weekly COVID-19-related updates, including our telehealth award tracker. Thanks and have a great day. The views and ideas expressed on this program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of Kelly Dry and Warren LLP, its staff, or management.